Indian Lake. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Friday, May 26th. I'm Todd Moe. Monica will be back next week. It'll be an important weekend for a Ukrainian boy who survived the start of the war. The 15-year-old will graduate from a boarding school in the Adirondacks tomorrow, where he's studied academics and farm life. I would never like saw that I would like change water for the sheep, give them grain, like or milk the goat because I have done milk in the goat and it's pretty hard. Two government groups are letting people who use SNAP double their purchasing power when they shop at farmers markets and will visit the Canton farmers market. And as SNAP participants come up, they can get their dollar amount in tokens and then we will double that amount with Fresh Connect checks, which are eligible on all SNAP eligible items. So you can get uh, eggs, meat, uh, dairy products, fruits and vegetables. And ahead of the Memorial Day weekend, firefighters are warning that the risk of wildfires is higher than usual. Also, a conversation with the new curator of the Hyde Collection in Glens Falls about an exhibit that celebrates some of the artwork collected and loved by Charlotte Prine Hyde. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio, supported by St. Lawrence Health, whose affiliation with Rochester Regional Health means more patient access to specialty care, stlawrencehealthsystem.org. And by the Depot Theater, Westport, a professional equity theater in the Adirondacks, celebrating its 45th season, depotheater.org. This is Northern Light. I'm Todd Moe. It's graduation season here in the North Country, and for one young student, the ceremony tomorrow marks the end of a long chapter. It began on the front lines of the war in Ukraine and brought him to a tiny boarding school in the Adirondacks. Emily Russell brings us his story. On a cold, dark morning in February of last year, a 14-year-old boy in Kharkiv, Ukraine, got up before the sunrise. I woke up pretty early in the morning to do my homework because I just like to do my homework in the morning. That's Yegor. We're not using his last name to protect his family back home in Ukraine. And I have heard like strange sound, which I have never heard before. There were rockets, like I couldn't hear rockets. Russian rockets were bombing his hometown. The war in Ukraine had begun. Igor and his family fled their home. They spent the next night at his grandmother's house where they thought they'd be safe. But Yegor remembers watching that night as fiery rockets flew over their neighborhood. I survived this night, but I learned that like houses down the street were just destroyed. Yegor's school was also destroyed. At the time, he was prepping for a national math competition. Math is Yegor's favorite subject. But the war took that away from him, took away his safety and his childhood. So his big brother Dan got to work. He wrote to schools in the U.S. looking for a spot for Yegor. The moment I got Daniel's letter, it certainly pulled at my heartstrings. Uh, We got to find a way to make this happen. That's Bill Newman, head of admissions at the North Country School, a tiny junior boarding school in Lake Placid. They issued Yegor a student visa, offered him a full ride, and Yegor's friends and family raised money for his plane ticket. 
On Easter Sunday of last year, Newman drove five hours to Boston to pick Yegor up from the airport. I remember he had his older brother's clothes on, and so we had cuffs folded up to the knee, and so it was obvious we needed to get him uh, to a place where we can get clothing appropriate for the Adirondacks. It took a lot just to get Yegor out of Ukraine and into school in the States. He's one of more than a million young Ukrainians to be displaced by the war. Even after he was settled in at the North Country School, Yegor says it took time for it to feel like a place where he could learn and grow. In the start, it was really hard because I didn't know any English and I couldn't communicate with people. I couldn't do my homework properly because I just couldn't understand what's going on. But North Country School has offered me many opportunities. It's a cool spring day and Yegor is showing me around the school's barn. The North Country School is pretty progressive. Students here help raise sheep and chickens. They later harvest those animals for food. Yegor bends down and picks up a little gray cat. And who's this in your arms? It's Mercury, his barn cat. Mercury? Yeah, he's really a friendly cat. He loves people and animals. The school's barn manager, Erica Burns, says getting students like Yegor to take care of the animals and to do barn chores, it instills a lot in them. It teaches kids how to do hard things and how to do things with consistency and how to be responsible. And and uh, I think Yegor has also, like, he's come to this conclusion a lot faster than a lot of people's, like, love and appreciation for the barn. Igor loves riding horses and just spending time with the barn animals. Growing up in the second largest city in Ukraine, Igor says there's no way he could have imagined his life today in rural upstate New York. I would never like so that I would like change water for the sheep, give them grain, like or milk the goat because I have done milk in the goat and it's pretty hard. Over the last year, Yegor has proven he can do hard things. He's learned English, taken AP calculus, gone mountain biking. Also, I have learned how to ski. And Bill Newman was one of my teachers who have taught me this, and it was amazing. The head of admissions took him to Whiteface, where Yegor says he skied black diamond trails. He's also had a host family take him on vacation, and he spent time with a few other Ukrainians in the Lake Placid area. As the war in Ukraine rages on, Yegor says he tries not to think about it too much. It's too hard. I miss my family. My mother came visit me during this summer, but I have not seen my father. I, can, I have not seen my grandparents, which is really sad. But somehow, as a 15-year-old, he's found a way to keep going. He's got a full ride to a boarding high school in New York, where he'll start this fall. He then wants to go to college in the U.S. Eventually, though, Yegor says he does want to move back home to Ukraine. I hope that I can start anti-war organization. Also, I'm thinking to volunteer to help other global issues such as climate change. Yegor has big, grand plans. But first, he's focused on summer. After he graduates from the North Country School, Yegor hopes to travel back home to Ukraine to visit family, the first time in more than a year. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio, Lake Placid. There's been a sudden spike in drug overdoses in St. Lawrence County this week. Yesterday morning, the county public health department said that eight overdoses had occurred in the previous 24-hour period. 
One of those overdoses was fatal. The public health department is stressing that any drug could be laced with a deadly amount of fentanyl or xylazine. Some of the overdoses this week involved cocaine laced with fentanyl and marijuana laced with fentanyl. The opioid, the anti-opioid drug, Narcan, was used to save some of the people who overdosed. Several people needed multiple Narcan doses, which are often necessary when multiple drugs have been mixed. Narcan is available to the public for free to get a free Narcan kit. Call the county's addiction services department at 315-386-2189. You can also get free fentanyl test strips by calling the same number. If you think if you think you or someone else may be having an overdose, call 911. The state's Good Samaritan law protects people who call 911 to report overdoses so you won't get in trouble for any potential drug-related offense. Ahead of Memorial Day weekend, firefighters are warning that the risk of wildfires is higher than usual. On Tuesday, there were two brush fires in Lewis County, according to the Watertown Daily Times. Both fires were started intentionally and then quickly spun out of control. The annual New York burn ban was in effect until the middle of the month. The Lauville volunteer fire chief told the Times that the burn ban has often been extended in the past if conditions have been very dry, but wasn't extended this spring, even though there hasn't been much rain. If you are going to make a fire this weekend, be sure to do so near a water source. Don't leave your fire unattended and make sure it's completely extinguished before you leave. The weather forecast calls for clear skies right through the early part of next week. A New York man who opened fire with a high-powered rifle at a Buffalo-area retail store in 2017 has pleaded guilty to an attempted murder charge. Travis Green has also agreed to a a 10-year prison sentence as part of the plea deal he took yesterday in a Buffalo courtroom. Sentencing was set for July. Police called it a miracle that more people were not injured or killed when Green sprayed more than 20 bullets at the front of the Dollar General store in Cheektowaga from the parking lot. A 53-year-old man outside the store was wounded in the shoulder but survived. Get more news all the time on our website at ncpr.org. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 11 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. Monica is back next week. Stay tuned. Coming up in just a moment, farmers markets double up. We'll hear more about uh, letting people double their purchasing power when they shop at farmers markets this season. That's coming up. This is music by The Curries in Potsdam. Check out more of their music on our website, ncp ncpr.org slash underscore
broadcast of Northern Light is supported by Barstow Subaru Potsdam, committed to the safety and security of all-wheel drive. Details at barstowsubaru.com. And Adirondack Foundation, helping people and families build a legacy of generosity for the Adirondacks. Adirondackfoundation.org. Thirteen percent of people in St. Lawrence County are food insecure. Food pantries and neighborhood centers offer support, but there's another source of help available that might surprise you. Local farmers markets. Locally produced food is often more expensive than what's in grocery stores, but the government is trying to make it easier for people who receive food benefits to buy healthy, fresh items. Lucy Grindon reports on two programs that let people double their purchasing power when they shop at farmers markets. Erica Kelso works for Garden Share, a small local food nonprofit that runs three farmers markets in St. Lawrence County. Every Tuesday and Friday, she stands under a highlighter yellow tent at the Canton Farmers Market. Kelso says they bought the tent so people would notice the sign underneath it, which advertises that the market takes SNAP benefits, formerly known as food stamps. Just last week, a group of young women were driving by, and it worked. Because of the yellow tent, they saw our sign that says that we accept SNAP at the market, and so they came up, they asked me a lot of questions, and they were telling me that they didn't even realize you could use SNAP at the market. And then by the time they were done with me, they were taking some SNAP tokens and going and making purchases for their first time. Kelso says a lot of people aren't aware that many farmers markets accept government food benefits. And this summer, to encourage more people to shop at farmers markets, there's a sort of two-for-one deal. The state offers what are called Fresh Connect checks. For every SNAP dollar you spend at the farmer's market, you can get a matching amount in Fresh Connect coupons. We'll be handing these out until the end of June or until we run out. And as SNAP participants come up, they can get their dollar amount and tokens, and then we will double that amount with Fresh Connect checks, which are eligible on all SNAP-eligible items. So you can get eggs, meat, uh, dairy products, fruits and vegetables. Justin Phillips walks up to the tent. How... How long, how late does it run today? We are open until 2 today. 2. He says he's got $13 left on his SNAP card for this month, and he hands it over to Kelso. As of yesterday, I've got like 13 and a half left on this for the month, so let me just empty this out here. Okay, so and I can actually double some of that with my Fresh Connect checks as well, so... I will not argue with that. Yeah, I don't know how you can. <laughs> Phillips says he really likes farmer's markets, especially here in the North Country. He recently moved here from Chicago and works at a hotel in town. In Chicago, it was more expensive. It was more for the yuppie types who are like, oh, I'm so great. Look at me. I go for the fresh food and I go to Trader Joe's and all that. But here, uh, you know, you got the Amish and real farms. And so stuff tends to be a little cheaper and definitely better quality than I'm going to get over it. Save a lot or whatever. Phillips says being able to double his money at the farmer's market is a big help. Twice as much stuff. It's like half price everything. And that's great. Like last time I bought some meat snack sticks and rhubarb. This time I want to try this uh, fresh tea here and I might pick up like a jam or a jelly. But right now they don't got much. That's because this is just the very beginning of farmer's market season. Pretty much all anyone's harvesting right now is asparagus. The Fresh Connect program runs through the end of June. At the beginning of July, when farmer's market season is in full swing, another double-up program starts, this one from the federal government. It works pretty much the same way, except that you can only use the extra food bucks tokens from this program for fruits and vegetables. 
Kelso says out of the seven farmers markets in St. Lawrence County, five are able to take SNAP. The ones in Aquasazne and Ogdensburg still don't. Kelso says a lot of people in St. Lawrence County make too much money to be eligible for SNAP, but still struggle to buy all the food they need, especially healthy, fresh food, which is usually more expensive. For those people, Garden Share has its own program called Bonus Bucks. That group of people also qualifies for Bonus Bucks, even though they might not qualify for SNAP. So it's, a, again, doubling somebody's money so that they can come get local, fresh food. You can apply for Garden Share's Bonus Bucks program online, and then the organization will match every dollar you spend. You can put your bonus bucks towards the farmer's market or towards Garden Share CSA programs. Lucy Grindon, North Country Public Radio. Right now, Garden Share is looking to hire an outreach educator to try and engage even more people in St. Lawrence County. The head of WAMC is retiring after leading the Albany-based NPR affiliate for more than 40 years. Alan Shartok took over as president and CEO of Northeast Public Radio in 1981. He spearheaded the single station's growth into a multi-station network that now serves seven states. Over Shartok's four-decade career, he started and hosted multiple popular radio programs, including The Capital Connection, The Congressional Corner, and The Roundtable. When Mario, when Mario Cuomo was governor of New York, Shartok spoke with him every week for 12 years. He also offered commentary every day during Morning Edition and regularly interviewed politicians, artists, and public figures. Shartok called his time at WAMC the journey of a lifetime, but said he's ready to pass the baton on to the next generation of leaders. Stacy Rosenberry will be interim CEO. She was previously WAMC's Director of Operations and Engineering. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Mo. Coming up in a moment, a conversation with Hyde curator Bryn Shockmel. Uh, and also, we'll hear from John Warren in a moment uh, outdoor conditions as we head into the Memorial Day weekend. And then at 8 30, it's back to more of Morning Edition from NPR. Thank you so much for listening on this Friday, the start of the Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be a nice weekend in terms of weather with clear skies right through the early part of next week and gradually warmer temperatures. Highs this afternoon near 70 with mostly sunny skies. Light winds out of the south southwest, lows in the 40s overnight tonight, tomorrow. Sunshine, highs, low to mid-70s. Sunday, sunny, a high near 80. And Monday, Memorial Day, sunshine, light winds out of the south and highs in the upper 70s, low 80s. Could see highs approaching the mid-80s in some areas of the North Country by the middle of next week. Right now in Canton, we have sunshine and 49 degrees. And uh, here's John Warren. This is John Warren from the New York Almanac with your look at outdoor recreation conditions around the Adirondacks for this Memorial Day holiday weekend. We've had some cold nights, including some snow above about 4,000 feet, and another killing frost last night in some areas. 
there still remains winter conditions at the higher elevations of the high peaks with deep snow, especially on northern-facing slopes and in protected areas. Snowshoes and traction devices are still needed on summits, although hikers should stay below about 2,500 feet as the mud season advisory remains in effect for this weekend. Parking will be a major problem as many hikers ignore these warnings, especially with the nice weather expected. Last weekend, the Adirondack Lodge parking lot filled early. The Route 73 shuttles are not yet running, so you'll have a much better time visiting one of the thousands of lower elevation places around the Adirondacks. To protect the trails and environment, save yourself parking hassles, and avoid the crowds. The high peaks will still be there when the one season is over and the shuttles start running. This past week, a group of poorly equipped hikers required a 16-hour rescue from the Phelps Mountain area, a reminder to take these warnings seriously. Rivers and streams are running below or well below normal for this time of year. The Hudson River is expected to fall just below three feet on the gauge at North Creek by Sunday. The Racket River is a little under six feet at Piercefield. And the Lake Champlain gauge a little north of Whitehall has fallen to about 97 and a half feet. Water temperatures remain cold. Cold water protection is still recommended. Upper Saranac Lake is still in the low 50s. Mirror Lake is in the upper 50s. And Lake George and Lake Champlain are mostly in the mid 50s. The fourth lake boat launch on Route 28 and Inlet has reopened. Parking at the waterway access to South Inlet and Racket Lake on Route 28 remains limited due to bridge construction. The boat launch at Loon Lake in Warren County remains closed this weekend due to dam repairs. In the St. Regis Canoe area, a section of the carry between Floodwood Road near Floodwood Pond and Long Pond is flooded. You'll need to paddle across. In the DeBar Mountain Wild Forest, DeBar Meadow Roads is now open. Corey's Road is also open for the season, as is the gate at Clear Pond, which provides access through the Elk Lake easement lands. Those are the outdoor conditions in the Adirondacks this weekend. For North Country Public Radio, this is John Warren from the New York Almanac, online at newyorkalmanac.com. The Hyde Collection in Glens Falls boasts an impressive array of works. The museum's founder, Charlotte Prine Hyde, was from a wealthy family in town that ran the paper mill. She and her husband traveled to New York City and Europe to collect etchings and oil paintings from Rembrandt and Picasso and a variety of pieces from the Italian Renaissance. When she died, Hyde asked that her home and the art within it be available to the people of Glens Falls. This summer, the museum is celebrating 60 years of being open to the public with an exhibit devoted to the eye of the collector herself. Monica Sandresky caught up with the museum's new curator, Bryn Schockmel. Well, I wanted to really highlight how incredibly diverse her tastes were. So people will be familiar with this when they visit the house. You can see everything from a medieval stained glass window to a painting by Picasso. It's just thousands of years of art history from all over Europe and the United States. And so really diverse in terms of geography, in terms of time period, and also in terms of medium. It's not just paintings and sculpture, but it's a lot of decorative arts as well. And so with this exhibition, I wanted to show that. And so the exhibition has a lot of drawings and works on paper. It has paintings, it has decorative arts, sculpture, and by a whole range of artists. So as I was putting it together, I was kind of thinking in my head, okay, I want to make sure I have a good time range. I want to make sure I have a good geographical range. And I want to make sure I have a good range of mediums. She had so many pieces. Is, oh, um, yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> wow. Wow. How did she get access to some of this work? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's collected pieces by big name artists like Paul mm-hmm. Cezanne, Italian works from like 
the 1400s. Yeah. It's really incredible. She, she definitely had people helping her. So um, in sort of the early days of the collecting, they worked with various um, curators and art historians and experts that were able to help them grow their collection, help them seek out certain works of art. They, you know, would develop relationships with um, galleries and dealers in New York. And then they hired curators to run the museum. So even before it opened to the public in the 60s, there were curators at earlier points in time, um, helping grow the collection and helping sort of arrange things in the house and do uh, public programming and have drawing lessons and things like that. So um, one of her curators um, in the 40s, well, he was with her for a long time, actually, but started in the 40s, um, Joseph Jeffers Dodge. He really helped sort of push Charlotte more towards modern and contemporary art. She her tastes don't seem to have gone in that direction. She primarily preferred historical works. Um, but Dodge felt it was really important that she bring her collection right up to present day. And so he was the one who encouraged her to buy works by artists such as Picasso. Um, and so we definitely see the influence of some of her curators and her advisors in the works she acquired. But I also think we just see a lot of her own personal tastes and what sort of works she liked. As the curator yourself, are there one or two pieces that you're particularly drawn to? Definitely. So when I was starting to work on this exhibition, I was researching in our database, but then I also just went into the vault and was sort of looking in drawers and pulling out racks. And one work that I was really excited to discover that we had, it's, it's a kind of unusual object and it's not something that many visitors might be familiar with, but it's a a medal that was made by a Renaissance artist named Pisanello. And he's just the greatest sort of metal maker of that time period, like M-E-D-A-L, a metal. And it's just a beautiful bronze circular medal of Ludovico Gonzaga, who is from Mantua. And on the back, it shows um, a man on horseback. And it's just a really cool object because it's, it's not a painting, it's not a sculpture. Um, and so we have that on display in the exhibition and it just sits on this lovely little red velvet cushion and it's just really stunning. So that was, that was something that when I found that in the vault, I was just really excited. That must be so cool for you as a curator and as a curator in a new space to, mm -hmm. I don't know if kid in a candy store is too trite to yeah, say. Yeah, no, it's but... exactly like that. Absolutely. I, it's been really fun. And this, this exhibition, the whole point was to pull treasures from the vault. So we didn't take anything off the walls in the house. It's all objects that have been in storage. A lot of works on paper because they're light sensitive. And so we can't have drawings out all the time, but we can show them for brief periods. And so I really wanted to sort of pull things that haven't been on display in a while. Some of these works, I think, haven't been out in, in decades. And so um, it was really fun. Is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know or that um, you'd like to be asked? Uh, hmm. It does have a great range of works in it. So the earliest work is the, the Pisanello medal. And then there's also a drawing, a Renaissance era drawing by a follower of Andrea Mantegna. So that's sort of Renaissance Italy. And then it continues into... 18th century France with Fragonard and Boucher. And then we've got some Impressionist works by Cezanne and 
Massaro, and then it goes right up into the 20th century with Matisse and Picasso. And it also spans Charlotte's collecting history. So it starts the medal that I was talking about. She acquired the Pisanello medal in the early 1920s. And then we also have in this exhibition the very last work that she purchased, which is a, a beautiful pastel drawing that she acquired in 1959. So it's almost 40 years of collecting. Hyde curator Bryn Schockmel talking with Monica Sandreski. The exhibit celebrating 60 years. The collector Charlotte Prine Hyde is on display through September 17th. That's at the Hyde Collection in Glens Falls. I'm coming up on 28 minutes past 8. And thank you so much for joining us for Northern Light on this Friday, May 26th. The show is produced by a really stupendous team of people. Kara Chapman, Lucy Grindon, Emily Russell, Amy Feireisel, Monica Sandreski, our news director, David Summerstein. And thank you so much for listening. If you miss an episode, don't worry. You can listen back to the archive in a place you get podcasts. Check out individual stories and conversations on our website, ncpr.org. And you can also join us for our daily news roundup story of the day. Listen live to the show every weekday afternoon at 548. We're back to more of Morning Edition in just a moment. Sunshine today, highs near 70, winds out of the southwest. It's going to be clear and warm this Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe, be well. I'm Todd Moe.